Hello and welcome to the newest installment of Entertainment Weekly's Best of Shows, the podcast where we take a look at the best of television and the rest of television. Though right now it's all best all the time. This is another great entry in our mini-series treatment of the best shows of the 20-teens. Today we are talking best comedies. I am Darren Franich, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, joined as always by my brilliant colleague, Kristen Baldwin. Only good shows today. Only Kristen. good shows. Which Only is, the finest shows, I, I mean, the best. The best of the decade. <laughs> and I, I don't know how you feel. Um, you know, this is our penultimate episode in this limited series event yes. uh, where we're focusing on best comedy. But as excited as I am next week to talk about best drama, for me... This decade, when I think about the shows that were really pushing the medium forward, when I think about the shows that when they were great, you know, week to week, or if they were bingeable, you know, the, the, the moment of the year when all the episodes came out, just the stuff that I was most excited about, I think more often than not, it was comedy or it yeah. was, you know, it was the half hour mode of episodic television. Um, did you feel, did you feel that this decade as kind of a shift from, from what we had in the 2000s? thousands you know i have a hard time remembering what i wore yesterday so i'm not going to pretend that i remember <laughs> you know sort of the grander sense of what i uh, needed out of tv in the 2000s but i will tell you that i do definitely feel like in the last five years especially like uh and even over the last decade we've you know comedy has been more important than ever just in terms of yeah. like uh, being able to cope with the world and, uh, you know, the way comedy is able to comment on uh, often, you know, the very painful things that are happening in our society, uh, it, it's very cathartic. And as somebody yeah. who uses uh, humor as and sarcasm as a defense mechanism uh, <laughs> all the time, uh, comedy is definitely my, my sort of language, yes. my what, yeah. do, what do they say? My love language. It's my love yes, language. Yes, yes, yes. Comedy as the sort of simultaneous force field and yes. like the, the weapon for cutting through what was going on throughout yes. this decade was very much forefront. And Kristen, that leads perfectly into the show that I'm going to talk about first. Uh, well, we're not ranking them today. No. Everybody, you know, everyone should go online and, you know, check out our overall best of the decade list if, if, if what you're jonesing for are like the numbers. Um, <laughs> but but I, I will just say my sort of personal pick for the best comedy of, of, of the 20 teens is the first show I'm talking about. That show is Atlanta, created by Donald Glover, debuted on FX in 2016. Only two seasons so far, uh, and season two of this show, I would say, is essentially a perfect document of this decade. Um, Atlanta is broadly a show about the rap industry in uh, Atlanta, although it is very much about much more than that. Donald Glover plays Earn, who, when we meet him, is a basically broke everyman who becomes the manager for his cousin Alfred, played by <laughs> the great Brian Tyree Henry, my favorite person on television this decade. Uh, Alfred is better known to the public as Paperboy. Yes. Uh, he is a rapper, even though we never really ever get to hear him rap on the show, which is one <laughs> of the many extremely surreal flourishes of this strange, uh, the, the strange universe that that uh, that Atlanta creates. Um, in just a couple of seasons, the show's already made stars of the rest of its cast, including Lakeith Stanfield as Darius and Zazie Beetz as Van. And Kristen, for me, what I love about Atlanta is, you know, there's so much 
just to discuss with it. But more than anything, it's just such a great, visceral, vivid experience. Mm -hmm. Glover, of course, worked on a lot of other uh, TV comedies. And I think he brings something kind of old-fashioned in the structure of the show. It's very much an episode show, and each individual episode, especially in season two, kind of comprises a journey the characters are on. And sometimes those journeys are so ludicrously straightforward. There's one episode that's all about the fact that Alfred really needs to get his hair cut, and that just becomes <laughs> this incredible you know, qu quest for Excalibur-level series of unfortunate events that, that happen over the course of his day. Um, but, you know, with that kind of old-fashioned quality, there's just such a, a, a wonderful and vibrant sensibility. Um, you know, one of the key collaborators on the show is the director, Hiro Murai, who's also done some great work on another show that I think we're going to discuss today, Barry. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, what they've created, season one is so great, but season two, especially for me, that's just kind of the show of the decade where every week it felt like there was a new masterpiece unfolding and you know what it does um, with its comedic sensibility is just really remarkable um, we've talked about this show plenty Kristen but uh, how do you feel it, how do you feel it, it kind of sits in the kind of comedies of, of the decade well I think it really represents we talked a few weeks ago um, about sort of the auteur created television that we've seen a lot of in this decade and um, it really represents how that type of vision, uh, especially in comedy or the half hour format, can be more of, I love that you call it an experience, because it is, it's not a show that you watch and you just sort of watch passively, you know, it is as though you're there with these characters and yeah. it, it does, you're not always, you know, it's not about all the LOLs, it's more just about <laughs> looking at these people, these very clearly defined and very rich characters go through either relatable or completely bizarre uh, experiences like with the the Black Justin Bieber episode. Right? Oh my God. I mean, yeah, you know, you have stuff like that mixed together with one of my favorite episodes, uh, especially in season two, it felt like it was really adopting the kind of character focus style of which you're kind of more familiar with usually with dramas like Lost or uh, yeah. the Leftovers. And there's an episode that's all about Van going out for New Year's at Drake's house. Yes. And like, yeah, you know, it's funny to me that that gets at exactly what you're, what you're talking about where on one hand, it is just sort of this incredible almost experiential episode yeah. and there's these like soliloquies and it's just all very strange at the same time for pure lols that episode is like chock full of them but i just i love how the show kind of creates for me there are just so many tr true belly laughs yeah. even as you know what it's grappling with in terms of race in terms of class in terms of you know for me over the course of watching this show i feel like i've i've kind of aged out of oh, a lot of the stuff yeah. the characters are grappling with <laughs> Like in 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 the Drake episode, that's kind of to me just like a classic like going out episode. Yes. Where they're all talking about like Instagram and Snapchat, and you know, for me that's already kind of a foreign country. But yes. I love how the show really kind of captures that so well. So I, you know, I'm, I I know I'm betting big on this. It's only been two seasons, yeah. and obviously, you know, with any show, you you know, you don't know what's going to happen with it. But for me, I just feel like when I think back on this decade, just for pure yeah. excitement terms, Atlanta is is really kind of tops for me. And I do I think that comedy like this and you know one of my shows uh coming up is also on fx and i think that network has done a good job letting sort of comedies like this that aren't 
you know, certainly they're not three camera comedies, but they're also just not traditional comedies in that often they're just, they defy genre. Um, they're sometimes funny. They're sometimes incredibly sad. They're sometimes just weird, but they, uh, there's a lot that you can do in the half hour format that I think we've seen with these really sort of visionary creators, whether it's Donald Glover or, you know, Pamela Adlon or somebody like that, uh, in the last decade. And, you know, that's certainly a benefit, um, uh, or one of the you know good side effects of having so much goddamn TV you know, <laughs> is uh, is that we get you know we that networks take chances and, and absolutely this is one of them so uh, absolutely Pamela well, Adlon you say interesting yes, very will, interesting <laughs> yes and I mean I may as well just go right to her then um, you know back in 2016 FX announced that it was picking up a new series co-created by Louis C.K. and Pamela Adlon, and she was a writer, a working TV actor, and a voiceover actor. The show is called Better Things. And the press release res described Better Things as a comedy that would star Pamela Adlon as, quote, a single working actor with three daughters as she navigates personal and professional situations. So, you know, that description may sound flat and even a little boring, but honestly, Better Things consistently delivered some of the most vivid and moving and deeply, hilariously relatable comedy of the past decade. Um, and just as an FYI, the show since 2017 has been under Pamela Adlon's full control after Louis C.K. was fired in 2017. Um, so writer-director Adlon stars as Sam Fox, an L.A.-based actress and mother to three very different and very challenging children. There's her emotional oldest daughter, Max, played by Mikey Madison, brilliant and rebellious middle daughter, Frankie, played by Hannah Oligood, and youngest daughter, Duke, played by Olivia Edward. And Sam sort of resides in this long, unforgiving stretch of mid-middle age when the kids are still in the house and the grandparents, in this case her brusque and mentally fading mom, Phil, played by Celia Imry, now need parenting themselves. And her day is an endless loop of cooking, driving, working, refereeing, and suffering, you know, through socializing with other parents or the indignity of entering perimenopause or the near constant wave of disdain that she receives from her children. At one point she says to them, you like the part where I drive you and I pay for the things, <laughs> which is clearly, <laughs> clearly very much it. And you know, everything about Better Things feels very personal and yet somehow very vastly relatable to anyone who has ever loved a child, agonized over a difficult parent, endured an unsatisfying job, or wondered whether pushing their own personal rock up the hill yet again was really worth it. You know, it's such a hard show to describe. And when I tell people, like, you've just got to watch it. It's so good. You know, I just say, you know, often, I just say it's impossible to describe, but it's really, if it's very authentic, it's very funny, and you will find something to love about it. I mean, there. I just watched the scene in season two, episode two, again, where she breaks up with her boyfriend, and she's just not in, she's just not been that into him the whole time. And, and the breakup <laughs> I love, scene. I love, that whole episode is great, but that scene is this incredible. This scene is incredible because she just, she finally realizes that she's been dating him for three weeks, even, even though she's hated him since the moment she saw his face and she says that's how nice I am and then when he starts whining uh, she just she just starts saying to him you know Jesus Christ is she so high maintenance this one you know and just refers to him as a woman over and over again and like it's incredibly well done and very cathartic and um, but then there are also just really beautiful scenes with her kids or really frustratingly relatable scenes with her kids it's just a show that is very clearly created by somebody who knows exactly what story she wants to tell, and it comes across. 
Yeah, absolutely right. And Kristen, if I recall correctly, that episode you're talking about, which starts off with, to, to me, like, that is a very funny scene. <laughs> so that, that is it's also, I mean, in its own way, it's recognizable as a brilliant sitcom scene. Yes. I mean, it's, it's very funny to see this sort of spiral of an argument that becomes just this massive breakup. Um, and yet, from there, the episode just takes so many turns that are, you know, not what you expect yeah. ever, moment to moment, but feel so earned. Because that's the episode, I think, that kind of ends with her on the beach yes. having that maybe fantasy of hanging out yes. with her kids. And to me, you know, Kristen, one kind of story of this decade in general was that, you know, you sort of had the breakdown of a lot of rules that defined television. Mm -hmm. And at times that could be frustrating. There are some shows where you watch them and you were kind of like, actually, these creators could have used some rules to follow. <laughs> but but this, this show is such the polar opposite where, as you said, she knows exactly what kind of story she wants to tell. She is being able to kind of tell these individual episodes that always go in these directions you don't expect but mm -hmm. that do always feel very controlled and even the way that um, the the three uh, daughters who were played by Mikey Madison, Hannah Allgood and Olivia Edward, the way that they all seem to reflect different aspects of her personality yes. is something that I mean, it's easy to hear that, but to, to actually see it and to see how they perform it, um, it's just kind of fascinating. And, I, you know, to think about telling a personal story in a way that's so relatable, yeah. um, th this show is definitely front and center um, uh, in that regard. And it's, it is kind of what I like about it, too, is that it does it has found an audience. It is yes. kind of ongoing, right? Yeah, and and like uh, they, they, They've already ordered season four. Yeah. And you can you can watch it now on Hulu, uh, you know, past seasons or FX now or eventually Hulu FX on Hulu when, yeah, when, yeah. when the giant conglomerate swallows the other one. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it's uh, and it's an easy binge. And I just, you know, if you've, if, if you're not sure if you're on the fence, just give it one episode because yeah. it's so hard to do it justice talking about it, but it really Definitely. is something special. Uh, Atlanta, I, I should have said, is also on Hulu, which is also where you can watch the next show, the next show that I'm going to talk about. And I swear, this is not all going to be one big Donald Glover love fest, but it just so <laughs> happens he was on one of my other favorite shows of the decade. I'm talking, of course, about Community, which debuted on NBC in late 2009, or for in fall 2009, but it's truly great years defined the start of the 20-teens. Community is in... Um, in its format, a kind of old-fashioned workplace friends hanging out sitcom set at Greendale Community College. Uh, it stars a true lineup of future all-stars of the decade, including Gillian Jacobs, Danny Putty, Vet Nicole Brown, Alison Brie, who wound up being on four great shows mm -hmm. this decade somehow, uh, the aforementioned Donald Glover, Chevy Chase, and of course the star nominally when it started was, was Joel McHale. Um, and Community for me, Kristen, was the network sitcom that was simultaneously scratching every itch you'd want from a network mm -hmm. sitcom. This was a show that week in, week out was just telling really fun, quick, uh, solid comedy plot lines. At the same time, famously, it was very meta. It was very conceptual. Um, for me, the really best years would have been season three and season five. And those were the years when creator Dan Harmon and his writers, just each week, you never knew what you were getting. They'd do these incredibly elaborate parody episodes. They would do, there were animated episodes. There was an episode that was just an incredibly spot-on spoof of Law & Order that only made me appreciate <laughs> Law & Order 
order more. Um, you know, this was a show that I think was near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. If you tend to think a lot about pop culture, it was so steeped in television history, so steeped in kind of the history of junky genre mm-hmm. everything. Um, and you know, you know, so as a result, I know it has a, a dear place in a lot of people's hearts. Um, but for me, just it's a show that I like to revisit. There are so many kind of standouts and just the different registers of its comedy and the way that it could juggle really farcical out there stuff and even kind of outright fantasy. You know, the, the actors on the show were often called upon to play the other characters at times <laughs> and feats of dream sequences and all that stuff. Um, but more than anything, I just I think about the characters kind of at the table in the study yes. room and, and, you know, what could kind of happen there when you had all these incredibly defined personalities kind of sparking off each other. We talked about this a little bit in the finales episode, Kristen, yeah. but how, how do you kind of look back on community now and how it relates in general to what was really an awesome lineup of, of NBC sitcoms at, at, at that time? I think, you know, NBC definitely gets credit for letting uh, some weirdness happen in comedy that maybe some of the other networks did not. You know, that is a show. Community is never a show that I really got into. I'm. Al- it's interesting. I think the more I talk about it, comedy with you, like I enjoy either shows that are like really extreme in one way or I want them to be very traditional. And so uh-huh. like the sort uh-huh. of the combination of the two uh, <laughs> leaves me, you know, a little befuddled. But um, the dissonance, Kristen, it's, 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 it's the dissonance that makes it beautiful. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I get that's why people love it. But I do think that uh, NBC especially does get should get credit for, you know, letting something like that or even Parks and Rec, which was a weird show, you know, or yeah. 30 Rock, definitely a really weird show in many ways. They certainly had built this comedy uh, foundation, you know, in the 90s with Friends and Seinfeld and Cheers and all of that. But then in an attempt to recapture that glory going forward, they've let some really interesting things, especially for broadcast television, live. And I think this is definitely one of them. Um, You know, it wasn't one that I ever really uh, got into. I think I just I don't like Joel McHale. Well, this is where I was going to say, Kristen, I'm glad you said that because one of the things I like about this show so much is it was, I want to say, I don't want to say it was a full bait and switch, but it was definitely a show that when it started was a little bit more about like, here's this snarky guy, a a, a very familiar archetype of Mm -hmm. of that time of comedy and of his generation. And just the way that very quickly over the course of the episodes, it became such a true ensemble. And even like the way that the Joel McHale type kind of became in a very self-aware way, like a pastiche of himself. Yeah. There, there's, there, there was so much richness there. And to me, that is kind of the defining thing with a great comedy is like, you know, how quickly does it move from being about mm-hmm. one specific person to being about the ensemble or, or, or to being about how these characters kind of um, do interact with each other. But you're really right, Kristen. I mean, I, I, I try to be generally pretty forward-looking and optimistic about television and, and life. <laughs> um, but but I, I do feel at times like my lost TV utopia was like I think there was one half season where you had on NBC's Thursday all in one lineup like 
office, mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, 30 Rock community. And, and, you know, that's that to me is just such a murderer's row of great talent yes. doing, as you said, this really eccentric comedy that nevertheless was intended to and very much could kind of play to the mainstream audience. Right, so I, right. I, I think yeah, like, community was definitely the weirdest of the bunch, but that's probably why, uh, you know, it, it holds such a, a special place for me in the, in the comedies of this decade. And it definitely paved the way for like some other, you know, like now when you look at a show like AP Bio, which was, you know, essentially saved, um, <laughs> yeah. it does seem to be like it owes it ex- its existence to a show like Community. Definitely. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, and you, Community, where can you stream that right now? Still currently on Hulu, Kristen, though from what I understand, there may be a bidding war about it <laughs> in the, as the, as the streaming wars continue to dig deeper into classic sitcoms. All right, well, uh, get it while you can. Uh, so the next comedy on my list almost didn't happen. Um, <gasps> before HBO signed a deal with Armando Iannucci to adapt his British comedy, The Thick of It, into the series we now know as Veep, ABC attempted to adapt the show in 2007. That version of In the Thick of It starred John Michael Higgins and was overseen by Mitch Hurwitz and Richard Day. It was n- ultimately not picked up by the network. And at the time, Iannucci said it was terrible. It was, <laughs> he said it was... It was all conventionally shot and there was no improvisation or swearing. And so thank God for HBO because the improvisation and the swearing executed by one of the greatest comedy ensembles of all time is a big part of what made Veep one of the decade's most unique and essential shows. It chronicled the political ambitions of the selfish, ambitious, and outright venal vice president, Selena Meyer, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It's part political satire, part workplace comedy, part dysfunctional family comedy, part social commentary, and all brutally funny and unforgivingly brutal examination of humanity at its absolute worst. Uh, With 10 series regulars and a sprawling supporting cast, the ease with which uh, Iannucci and later showrunner David Mandel and the cast balanced multiple overlapping storylines with a rapid-fire jokes-per-minute pace, you know, remains a miracle. There's just so much to praise about this show. Every character is at some point my favorite. Um, So I'm just going to read my favorite line, which came from last (laughs) season, which I think sums up so much of what makes Beep great. Um, It comes from Selena's burned out campaign manager, Ben Cafferty, played by Kevin Dunn. He says, ma'am, you're going to be drowning in money so dark it could get shot entering its own apartment. Like it's everything in that joke is so, you know, it's political satire. It's social commentary. It's incredibly like brutal, but it's also so funny. And it really just... I don't even know where to start with Veep in terms of listing all the ways, all the reasons I love it. So I just wanted to start talking to you about it uh, because it really is, you know, we talked, I talked earlier about, I like shows that are extreme and this is extremely just, man. I mean, this is a show that started off like acidic and just got like ever more uh, just viscously and viciously (laughs) like um, dexterous in its portrayal of how terrible people in politics could be. Um, And Kristen, this is a show that I also think it's kind of interesting because um, you know, the way that it kind of evolved and, 
and grew over mm-hmm. the course of its time is it has always really fascinated me because um you know you, you had people like Gary Cole who kind of became more so central good. as it went along or um uh, Sam Richardson as uh, Richard Splatt who I feel like that character kind of started off as I don't want to say like a one note joke yeah. but a little bit more out there and just the way that they kind of developed the whole ensemble is, is pretty great um hey, Kristen this is a show that I I loved a lot in its first four seasons and then I kind of fell off on it um but it was interesting kind of talking about it so much with you this last season because this last season was incredibly bleak yeah i mean in 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 in, in some respects like bleaker than even something like your house of cards is or your kind of political melodramas because it was just what was going on was so horrifying and the ever more ornate language the characters were 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 perpetrating upon each other was just really kind of i mean the the high wire act of this show and the way in which it portrayed its characters with such venom and yet they were funny yeah i i find that to be a pretty incredible balancing act especially thinking about i mean thinking about selena meyer as a character is just so um fascinating because when the show started i sort of feel like she was a little bit more of a i don't want to say lovable but there was something about like oh you know she's the veep and the vice right. president she's famously. put upon right right she, she, she's very put upon i mean like her development over the course of the show was really kind of remarkable yeah um, i mean by the end she is a ruthless killer and like <laughs> she you know there uh the show itself obviously in terms of the real life world becoming as absurd in many ways as this show had been it was you know difficult for the show to almost adapt but they were able to do it in a way where like you know this was a show that in its final season had a running joke about mass shootings and like it made perfect sense in that yeah. it how did this campaign it was one mass shooting after another and she's on the campaign trail for president how does she handle it and the way that it was sort of common commenting on our current news cycle and how we handle you know the news of a mass shooting and then it gets you know it gets moved away by something else there was an incredible sequence about a character getting an abortion, you know, which again was done. It made total sense for the story, but it was uh, also, you know, tackled very head on in a way that, uh, you know, few shows would dare to do. And then a lot of really silly stuff, you know, like Jonah, Mm -hmm. um, you know, played by (laughs) Tim Simon, just the, the ongoing joy of coming up with new ways to insult him that you could see with, you know, the, the cast and the characters and the writers, like they just clearly loved it. Um, and you know, when a group like this is, is being elevated by each other in terms of, uh, you know, improving and things like that, you can really tell every Everybody's at the top of their game, and yeah. yeah, so it it's definitely a show that like uh, it's not it's not a feel good show by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it never cease to make me laugh yeah it's a it's a it's a feel able to laugh yes things that are deeply <laughs> that are disturbing. horrifying yes. i mean and even even the way that like over the course of the show the way that selena meyer who, who was always so well defined that like i i wouldn't say there's any one real world figure you could pick yeah. out and say that's her but the way in which she kind of moved gradually from being a a, a recognizably you know hillary clinton-esque figure within the political world of veep um to 
result ultimately being possibly more Trumpian than Trump yes. was 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 a truly interesting uh, kind of overall journey for her. Um, Veep is streaming on on HBO and definitely will uh, will stand as a deeply disturbing <laughs> reminder of a lot of the things that were going on in this decade. Yes. Um, Kristen, we're sticking around on HBO uh, for the next sitcom and. Um, thinking about what you were saying earlier about these comedies that are extreme versus comedies that are kind of giving us more than anything one of the things I love, I love about sitcoms is when you just kind of want to hang out with the people and, and you know you feel as if yeah. you're kind of being welcomed into this world uh, for me the best kind of hanging out with friends sitcom of the decade is Insecure uh, on HBO mm -hmm. created by Issa Rae and Larry Wilmore uh, it stars Issa Rae um, as a character named Issa who is very much on the tail end end of her 20s going into her 30s which is a time period that I'm generally interested in especially since when the show started that was what I was doing specifically um, and what I love about the show is how season one kind of started off with her in what seemed like a kind of dead-end relationship with uh, Lawrence the character played by Jay Ellis um, and more than anything season one started off being about her friendship with uh, her friend Molly played by Yvonne Orji um, but very quickly you kind of got into this great uh, sense that this was going to become more of an ensemble show. This may just be mm -hmm. sort of my thing in general with, with TV that I like. Uh, the characters Kelly and Tiffany, played by Natasha Rothwell, and Amanda Seals kind of filled out the central foursome of, of, of girlfriends. And um, more than anything, I just think this show captures in a really stylish and fun way a very specific kind of young 30-something existence. Some people kind of getting married, starting to have kids. Some people really trying to figure out what's going on with them. Issa, kind of famous is constantly insecure with everything going on mm -hmm. with her life, whereas Molly, when we first meet her, is a total you know, lawyer, business badass who seems to have her life together in an exciting way, and what happens with them just feels very honest to those characters. Um, you know, I, I love this past season had the Coachella episode, which I think <laughs> will, will hopefully you know, stand as the defining work on Coachella in, in, in the teens. Um, and, you know, just in a really intangible way, Chris. It's just a show that I love being a part of. I just feel like, um, especially as it's gone along, it's gotten a lot more um, just kind of fashionable and stylish and like the way that it kind of conjures up this very specific corner of Los Angeles is something that I really enjoy. Um, and again, just thinking about the actors, uh, Issa Rae, yeah. I think is, you know, she, she's a writer on the show, obviously, the co-creator and just as a performer, I, I think is really, really fun. Uh, Jay Ellis has clearly become some kind of superstar for a lot of people, yeah. uh, but he's he's incredibly charming, uh, even if I'm not entirely sure how Lawrence fits into the show going forward. <laughs> um, but I just think that, you know, for, for being the, I think every person kind of carries around in their heart, like, what's the friends hanging out show yeah. that I want to hang out with? Uh, you know, for some people, it was happy endings. Uh, apparently, for a lot of young people, it's friends again, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, but that was kind of this show for me this decade as yeah. far as just being like you know it was it was a great kind of gem in the hbo sunday night um in some ways less experimental than some other comedies but really just as far as building this network of friends on screen it's something that i really kind of cherish is, is this a show that you've kind of um, um dug into very much Kristen? Uh, no i have seen several episodes and i always really enjoy it and i appreciate that like that sense of yeah these 
I love a show that, you know, again, we've talked again about these sort of auteurs, you know, people who clearly go in with a vision and the, yeah. when the characters are so clearly created and, and, and delineated and they're formed from the beginning, which is something that I think, you know, if you look at sitcoms, uh, it, and it's hard to call this a sitcom even, but if you look at, at half-hour comedies, uh, traditionally, you know, you have stock characters, you know, the, the yeah. nosy neighbor and the sassy black friend and the whatever, you know, and the nagging wife and the whatever. But, like, over the last decade especially, the fact that, you know, more uh, the pe- networks and streamers were allowing people to try different ways, you know, because some of these episodes you know, while there are funny moments, they're not necessarily, it's not necessarily it's a painting in a, yeah, yeah, it's 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 painting in a lot of different emotional palettes, yeah, which yeah. I think is just great. I, I think that kind of deepens the sense of like, there's no stock character yeah. on the show, which to me, that's what's kind of really exciting about getting to do sitcoms like this today, getting to watch them, is the feeling of like, everyone is just so much more defined than they would be in the kind of blander, ABC green lights a remake version right. of this show. <laughs> and if you know, and if they did it would be like frankly, I just it wouldn't feel, you know, because obviously it's important that it's also, you know, a black female creator and a predominantly black cast and, you know, presumably the the writing staff as well as diverse and like if you put it on ABC you know, I think Blackish does a really great job uh, feeling like yeah. an actual authentic, you know, view of, uh, you know, some uh, African American experience. Whereas most of the time, you can tell it's like this is we are we are replicating the African American experience with these yeah, actors, yeah. and they are talking about being black. Whereas these shows shows like this, like Insecure, or you know, we've talked before uh, about like Rami or things. You know, they allow you to just mm-hmm. experience what this person's perspective is without exactly. it being performative. Yeah, in a way. exactly right. Yeah, it, it it doesn't feel like because because the, the thing you never want to feel with any show is that and to me this is kind of the classic fear with any network sitcom is a creator comes in with a totally distinct vision and background yep. and everything mm-hmm. and then just the kind of clanking machinery of what broadcast <laughs> would do to that would sort of result in this thing that that you know again and, and you know this is not critiquing anything specifically just just the sense of like a thing that nobody really wanted that the yeah. creator would look at and say like you know that's not really what i was going for right. and i just think that you know w- w- with a place like hbo it's very clear that like th- they allowed this to kind of nurture and really really become its own thing and again like you know it, it, it is somewhat i think in that niche of something like your sex in the cities or, or mm-hmm. your girls is which became these incredibly kind of stylish and cool and and, and uh, for lack of a better word hip looks <laughs> at young people falling in and out of love yeah. in the big city i mean you know that's that's kind of a tale as old as time in television but for me like insecure is kind of the one that just felt the most distinctive and fun and again i mean that coachella episode yeah. i i i I went to Coachella once oh, in God. 2005 and never will go back. And I, I just felt like it was it was great to have such a kind of generational thing captured on screen. So I, I do hope that people will, will continue to check out Insecure. Season four is coming out next year, uh, but the first three seasons are available uh, however you watch your HBO. So uh, my next show is uh, from Comedy Central. Um, and uh, Key and Peele won me over with three words and those words were I said bitch 
So the year was 2011, and Comedy Central had just sent me a screener DVD of their new sketch comedy show, Key and Peel. I almost tossed it on the ever-growing pile of screener DVDs on my desk and forgot about it, but the publicist for the show, who I liked and respected, called me and said, you know what, this one's really funny, I think you'd like it. So I watched it, and in one of the first sketches, two men, played by stars Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, complain about... The- keeping their wives in line, hence the title of the sketch, I said, bitch. (laughs) But they only do it when they're sure their wives are out of earshot. And by the end of the sketch, the two dudes have gone all the way to outer space to make sure that their wives can't hear them complain about them. So, you know, former (laughs) Mad TV stars Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele created a show that was endlessly, wonderfully silly, four words, East-West College Bowl, but also brilliantly, uh, a brilliant exploration of broader themes of race, pop culture, and politics, but it never felt strident or pedantic. You know, while sketch shows are not notoriously uneven. Key and Peele had a remarkably high laugh per episode ratio, and the episodes and sketches hold up years later. I mean, there are too many to f- of my favorites to mention, and I went down a rabbit hole just, you know, looking to research this. But the tooth sketches that I think showcase Key and Peele's impeccable technical craft in terms of writing, timing, staging, physical comedy, and acting are one, the valets, the two Liam Neeson obsessed valets. And that is a, a wonderful work of physical comedy as well as just outright humor. Um, and then there's a sketch simply called Othello. Two black guys attend the world premiere of Shakespeare's Othello. And like, it's so incredible intricately staged and the the amount of uh, preparation and timing that would go into the 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 way they deliver the dialogue to each other while being so incredibly funny is just incredible. But my favorite line, which I'm just going to read to you, um, is, if a brother killed himself every time he broke up with a white bitch, the world would be bereft of brothers. Which is like, <laughs> I mean, it's both very, very funny, but incredibly smart. And like, it sums up everything uh, that I love about the show. And I can go back and watch just any episode, and if I haven't seen it, I will find new things that I loved, or if I've seen it a hundred times, I mean, like, come on, Mr. Garvey, the the substitute teacher, you know, who doesn't know how to say the white kids' names, you know, A-A-Ron, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, it's really is timeless, and I think uh, it only ran for five seasons from 2012 to 2015, but the fact that they created so much comedy that is uh, that holds up to this day is pretty impressive. And obviously, you know, Jordan Peele, uh, you know, went on to become this Oscar winning, you know, horror movie ma- mastermind. And Michael Keegan, Michael Key is somebody who, you know, he everything he's in is funny, you know, uh, uh, and he keeps getting cast in things because he's just so incredibly charismatic. But like, I really do. This is one of, you know, very few things on Comedy Central, you know, have stuck with me over the past decade, you know, but this is one that um, I just, I really love. Yeah, I mean, Kristen, you know, this show became such a sensation for so many reasons and like, you know, the the way that they would just dig into this incredible reserve of social humor, of racial humor, of all this stuff um, was always so talked about. But for me, the easiest thing to overlook about this show that I think about when I watch the, 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 the sketches you mentioned or one of my personal favorite sketches, the really elaborate 
spoof of Les Miserables <laughs> is it was just technically <laughs> and stylistically and aesthetically so well done. Yes. Um, you know, Dan Harmon, the, the, the creator of Community, would always talk about how with their kind of spoof episodes, he'd be like very meticulous about trying to literally recreate the look of a David Fincher movie or yeah. something. And, and you feel the same thing here with what Jordan Peele, who, I mean, if you were watching closely, no surprise, he went on to become such an incredible film director. Because, right. you, know, you, you see so much of that in the way that, um, you know, the worst thing that can happen with sketch comedy is when it just feels a little bit lazy on the filmmaking side. Yeah. And this this never felt that way. I'm, I'm so glad to have you kind of calling this out because, again, just to think about a show that would kind of create these events around itself. I mean, I remember just some weeks there'd be a new Key and Peele sketch that would just be making the rounds yes. everywhere. It would just be, I mean, it's it's fascinating to think of this show kind of coming out in the Obama era because in, in some ways it just feels as if, you know... It, it, the the richness of it only becomes more and more clear as yeah. we move deeper and deeper into an era that is decidedly uh, uh, m- much more fraught. Yes. And, and it just feels as if um, this, this 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 show really is kind of the gift that uh, that that keeps on giving. And even even the idea of there being a good sketch show. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, Kristen, but when this debuted, I kind of feel like sketch as a genre on television. Besides, you know, long lost memories of Chappelle's yeah. show. Yes, exactly. It, it, it seemed like kind of a dead genre, and I feel like this really kind of brought it back in, in such an incredible way. Yeah, and you know, people often said, you know, compared it to the Chappelle Show or to Chappelle Show, but honestly, like, you know, yes, it had black stars and uh, often touched on race, but it was not. You know, I felt I found this much more um, sillier in a, in a, but just as smart, if that makes any yeah. sense. And like, you know, there the ways that they addressed race felt more. Uh, unexpected, not that Chappelle's show wasn't brilliant, but like the auction block sketch where the two slaves are upset that they're not not getting bid on as one after the other after the other, you know, <laughs> as more slaves come up and get bid on, and they, they start getting upset and they try to yeah. pitch themselves to the, you know, like, it's so it it is wrong, but it is not, uh, but it's also very uh, surprising and funny and uh, yeah, I just think that um, this is a show that had you know, two very People with very sort of accessible uh, charisma and and personalities doing some very uh, you know explosive and sort of sensitive comedy in a way that felt you know uh, that everyone could enjoy basically. Yeah, the, yeah, they were just such a an all time great kind of uh, comedy duo too. Uh, Key and Peele is streaming now on Hulu. Yes, uh, all kinds of things on Hulu, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. Although we'll see where everything lands as shows <laughs> continue to get uh, siloed off into yes. their different corporate streaming services. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. 
Kristen, we're going to cruise back in time just a little bit with okay. my fourth uh, pick as, as we're talking the best comedies of the 20 teens. And it seems only appropriate, Kristen, given what happened with comedy, that I have at least one pick that I know people will argue it's not a proper comedy. Okay. Um, you know, th- this was very much the era of the half hour show right. that, you know, I-, I think comedy purists would complain was kind of painting more in the kind of dramatic, um, you know, emotional, if not downright sorrowful uh, arena. Um, and that's very true to a certain extent of Enlightened, the show created by Mike White and Laura Dern, mm-hmm. which ran for two perfect seasons between 2011 and 2013. Uh, the show begins with Laura Dern as Amy Jellico, who is a hard-driving executive at a gigantic megacorporation literally called Abaddon Industries. Uh, Abaddon, of course, a name that is uh, a reference to all, all kinds of nasty things. Google it. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit of a nudge towards the symbolism you'll be experiencing here. Um, but uh, the show begins with her imploding into a nervous breakdown. And from there, it becomes a show that is broadly about somebody who, you know, is kind of in the early stages of middle age and is deciding that she wants to make the world a better place, wants to live a better life. And how will she do that? And what does that mean? Um, it is still kind of a, a workplace comedy. She comes back to work and gets reduced to this kind of very mundane job, uh, which is where she meets the other key star of the show, Mike White himself. Um, can't forget about Luke Wilson, who plays her ex-husband or the great Diane Ladd, Laura Ugh. Dern's actual mom, who plays Amy's mom on the show. They are living together. Um, and Kristen, what this show does in a really short amount of time, two very short seasons, I, I think that the, the comparison point that, that comes to mind is something that people also probably will not get so much, but it's a very, it's very pre-Lodge 49. It's a show about, <laughs> it's a show about um, sort of life in the corporate world and life in, in the present day. And I even describe it sometimes as a workplace sitcom where you realize that the workplace is slowly destroying the world Mm -hmm. and what do the people kind of do with that Um, but more than anything it's just a great character show Amy Jellicoe as a character and as a performance by Laura Dern is really remarkable because she's someone who in, in a very annoying way has kind of gone to this rehab facility has come back with a new lease on life mm-hmm. and every episode in some ways it's kind of a countdown from her waking up in this sort of Southern California glow and saying ah like you know I am now a kind of new person how will I make the world a better place and just a constant downward spiral to the world forcing her to become yes. as you know downtrodden and cynical as the rest of us are um, murderers row of incredible directors worked on this show Nicole Hofsener Todd Haynes Jonathan Demi R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of gives you a sense of the ways in which especially in season two um the mood of the show and the style of it could just be so remarkable. Uh, there's an all-time great episode of television where Luke Wilson, who really, I think this show revived him for me as just an incredibly magnetic on-screen personality. But there's a whole episode about him going to rehab in Hawaii, and it's beautiful. It's a truly beautiful episode, just in terms of literally being there on yeah. the island and, and, and the journey it goes on. So is it a comedy? 
I would totally argue that yes, it's very much set in a heightened version of reality right. where you kind of have these characters, especially in season two, as it becomes about email hacking and whistleblowing. How did the show come out in 2013? That's, it's so exactly. crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> I do wonder if it was just ahead of its time in terms of like all of these things. And certainly the idea of you know, slowly waking up to the realization that corporations can do massive amounts of harm, yeah. you know, and yeah, it. I think at the time it probably came across as, you know, just too heightened in a way, whereas yeah. now we're realizing this, I mean, it's not that far-fetched. Yeah, and, and I think also just at a time of... I, I, I don't necessarily recall 2011 as being incredibly optimistic, yeah. but the, the specific way that this show kind of approached its world and approached its characters, um, it, it feels as if, as you said, it was it was ahead of its time. I, I suspect at any time it would have probably been a short-lived <laughs> critical gem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's incredible that we got the two seasons that we did. Um, but uh, Kristen, uh, did, did you watch the, the whole run of I did, uh, you know, Lane? and it's definitely one where I think... I should go back and watch now because I remember watching it at the time and it being it just feeling making me like finding it unpleasant and not yeah. like I don't like this because it's, you know, it's crappy, but more like this is a hard viewing experience, you yeah. know, and it is. And I think at the time that that was not something we were used to um, so much in uh uh, and it's not it's not so much that it's, you know, the like cringe comedy of like the original office or things like that. <laughs> but like it's certain it's just it's an it's it's a challenging Absolutely experience. challenging. Absolutely challenging. And, and, and in a way that's kind of interesting to think of, because Dern, who, you know, has obviously had just so many moments recently yes. of really, really in, in a wonderful way coming back into the public eye, um, you know, Amy as a kind of difficult protagonist, um, you know, it, it's kind of doubly difficult because on one hand, there are these aspects of her that are kind of downright unlikable. And yet also she's very strident about wanting to be a better mm -hmm. person, which in its own way is equally kind of unlikable. Yes. You know, we're, we're, we're so used to these characters where what's fun about them is that they're cynical or that they're, and that's, that's kind of not her, or at least that's not how she presents. Um, and so I just think that the way that the show really brings you around to, to loving her for all of her faults um, is just really kind of remarkable. I, I hope people do continue to rediscover it. Uh, it's on HBO. It's two seasons, 18 episodes, real fast real real, fast binge. Real fast binge. And you know, if ever it was a time that it could get uh, rediscovered, you know, now is it in terms of like, it's just there sitting, sitting on your uh, HBO queue and, you know, easy to, and you love, you know, you love Laura Dern. So yeah, like, and you know what? Everybody learned to love Luke Wilson again. He's yeah. great. <laughs> Although like now, isn't he doing like toothpaste commercials? And it's kind of well, you know what, Kristen, I'm sure they pay very well. Yeah. You uh, know what? Guys got to eat. I get it. But like, I'm sure the makers of, of Crest or whatever are big fans <laughs> of Enlightenment. <laughs> and are, are, are very aware of the irony of hiring someone from Enlightened to star mm. in their corporate advertisement. You know, like whatever whatever it takes. I shouldn't job shame. I just, I just, I feel like... <laughs> You know, I just feel like it's it, it's a little bit like, oh, that guy used to be a romantic comedy lead. And, you know, maybe he will be again, but um, good for him. Um, I mean, we may as well keep going with the uh, two-season critical gem from HBO. Um, 
You've heard me rave about my next show before, Darren. I've already celebrated HBO's The Comeback in our episode about best series finales. Woohoo! And today I'm going to add it to my list of the best comedies of the last decade. Season one, which aired in 2005, is about Valerie Cherish, a former sitcom star played by Lisa Kudrow, who is attempting to revive her career uh, by playing Aunt Sassy in a tacky new sitcom called Room and Board. Meanwhile, she's being followed by a reality TV camera crew for a show called The Comeback, which is going to chronicle her comeback. As Lisa Kudrow explained to EW in 2005, quote, it's a show within a show about a woman who was on another show. So in season two, which, you know, came many years later, it premiered on 24 in 2014 on HBO. It explores what happens when Valerie gets what she wants, which is fame, stardom and a modicum of respect. And it begins with Valerie learning that Polly G, the writer who created Room and Board and tormented her mercilessly, has now created a meta comedy for HBO about the making of Room and Board. And this new show, a dark comedy called Seeing Red, features a character called Mallory Church, who is very clearly based on Valerie. And there's this devastating scene in the season two premiere when Valerie goes in to yell at HBO and Polly, who's played by Lance Barber, for doing this show without her permission. And so in an effort to defuse the situation, they tell her, oh, you know, how about you audition for Mallory right now? And Polly gives her this tough, dramatic monologue to read on the spot. And This moment is just so incredible, and it just encapsulates what's so good about uh, the second season of the show. Valerie takes a moment to read the monologue, and you can see just from her face, you know, that she's unhappy with what she sees on the page. But then she channels that displeasure into this incredible, rage-fueled performance of this monologue, which uh, says in part... And again, in this monologue, she's Valerie Cherish reading Mallory Church, who is clearly her. (laughs) And uh, it's based on what clearly happened in uh, the experience of Room and Board. She says, you think I'm this dried up middle-aged woman? Look at the jokes you write. Look at the tracksuits you make me wear. All saying the same thing. I'm old. I'm annoying. I'm unfuckable. Well, I'm not the joke, okay? You are. And it's like, it goes on to just, she just eviscerates him. And meanwhile, like, it's incredibly surreal real, you know, for them to watch Valerie read a character that's clearly based on her and vent all this anger that she clearly has. And of course, she gets the part and the rest of the uh, (laughs) season is about her making this show. But what it's also about is her almost finding kind of it, it goes a much more personal route in that it starts to take a toll on her marriage to her husband, Mark. And she ultimately has to make a choice between, you know, what she thought she always wanted and what she already had. And, you know, so not only was the comeback, you know, sometimes incredibly painful and hilarious and, you know, really great satire of reality TV. It also pulled off the impressive and rare trick of making a second season that was deeper, richer, and even better than the first. And I know you haven't watched, Darren. I know uh. I know it's on your Sunday list, but, you know, look, you and I can both do sort of a simultaneous two-season HBO binge. I'll get through Enlightenment, you know, and Enlightened, and you you, uh, watch the comeback. But it's it's just, yeah. It's just embarrassing that I haven't seen it, truly. There's just too much, though. On on top of everything else, just the the, the sort of reality framework Mm -hmm. of it is something that that, that I know would totally um, appeal to me. But uh, as I said in the finale episode, Kristen, uh, it's just, you know, everything you're saying sounds great. I feel ashamed (laughs) for not seeing it. You've you've successfully watched Shame 
shamed me uh, with regards <laughs> not, to not the on comeback. purpose. Not on purpose. <laughs> um, but uh, I do hope that, like me, everybody will check it out. Uh, it is on HBO Go, HBO Now, soon to be on HBO Max. Uh, oh what other HBOs are there? I mean, <laughs> HBO OBH. I don't know. We'll, we'll HBO Eight, the Ocho. Um, <laughs> Kristen, uh, my last show uh, is a show that, in some respects, the less, the least well-known of the shows that I'm going to talk about today, uh, except for any of our listeners in the UK, where it may, in fact, be quite well-known. Mm. I'm talking about uh, the Trip series oh. of shows, uh, the Trip, the Trip to Italy, and the Trip to Spain. These are shows that star Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon as fictionalized versions of themselves, going to very nice restaurants and very nice hotels, <laughs> uh, first in the UK and then on the continent, and talking to each other. Who are Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, you are probably wondering. Well, Steve Coogan uh, is the comedian from Britain who is very famous for not being as famous in America as he is in Britain, in the UK. He's considered quite justifiably a true icon mm-hmm. for, for creating uh, some some all-time TV shows like uh, his various Alan Partridge series. Uh, Rob Brydon, uh, definitely not as well-known here in America. Uh, well known in in the UK as a comedian and just this show Kristen the dynamic that they create on screen for me it's it's the kind of duo of the decade as far as just being um you know it's so funny and so sharp uh, Steve Coogan kind of plays himself as the kind of slightly more egomaniacal uh, you know more famous of the two and right. so much of uh, especially the first trip when they're going around the north country is kind of constantly about how people seem to like Rob Brydon so much more <laughs> like in 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 the kind of like context of UK fame he's the kind of relatable every guy right, right. And Steve Coogan at that point his, his character is kind of meant to be living abroad. Um, what this show is kind of known for, Kristen, if it's known at all, is that what they're doing throughout in each episode is constant impressions. Um, you know, their impression of Michael Caine kind of went viral. <laughs> there are some incredible back and forths of them doing James Bond, incredible back and forths of them doing Pacino. And, you know, Boy, Kristen, bad improv is something that makes me yeah. feel physically ill. And this is some of the greatest improv and greatest riffing of all time. Um, you know, in a strange way, the trip and its sequels is kind of a sketch show in the sense that each episode you kind of will have these sequences of them kind of sitting down and just as they're talking and the way they launch into these riffs, it it has the kind of flow of something that is sort of easily digestible. There's a reason why the Michael King thing kind of became a standalone video on its own um, but in a broader sense the trip series uh, and I should clarify that in the UK this has aired as kind of three mini series uh, it was released in a kind of edited down feature film version here in the States uh, I, I would highly recommend seeking out the original series version of this uh, which you can do through some legal means I'm sure um, <laughs> but uh, what I also just love Kristen and the reason why especially the trip to Italy, the kind of second season of, of the trip, why it stands out to me is that um, just as a really 
lovely and funny and sharp portrait of of friendship of male friendship of guys who were kind of cusping on the edge of middle mm-hmm. age who I, I i believe i believe both performers turned 50 over the course of of filming the the, the second or third one um it feels really kind of lovely to me um you know they're very much like the sort of friends that are kind of constantly jockeying against each other and you know their closeness is sort of as definable as the ways in which they don't seem to like each other and i I just think that you know the way that bryden and and coogan create that feeling on screen um you know it it feels it's oddly personal even as it is really just kind of a constant laugh riot and you know there's so many sequences of trip to italy which just the two guys kind of driving around italy listening to alanis morris and that's that's pretty perfect i think well, yeah. have you kind of have you kind of fallen down the rabbit hole of this show beyond the kind of michael kane stuff which no I, really, I haven't what kind of made it live for a lot of people i haven't and it sounds like something i would totally enjoy because you know like you said there's really is there anything better than watching brilliant comedians you know riff there just isn't yeah. and uh yeah. in the context of something like this where you know we've talked a lot about shows that just feel like experiences as opposed to just you know uh things that you watch passively you know this this sounds like a wonderful combination of just like great comedy beautiful scenery and you know the food Kristen the food porn right (laughs) right so yes it is it is something that I must add to my someday list because yeah I mean it's you know I I love watching you know one of the things I loved about Veep is just watching these people who are so good at improvising and playing off each other you know do it in a way uh you know, obviously the, it, it's very opposite from this show in that this show sounds like it has a lot of heart, whereas Veep is totally heartless. But, uh, it, yeah. you know, it can be a real joy to to watch people and, and do this. I think it's a brilliant comparison uh, also, Kristen, because uh, Armando Iannucci and Steve Coogan were kind of long ago collaborators. Yeah. And there is the, 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 there's just a similar germ of like the, the kind of the, the tightly controlled Im, uh, improv, which, mm-hmm. you know, again, nothing worse than bad nothing improv, worse. nothing better than nothing better than like truly great improv. Um, so I, I do hope that everyone does check out The Trip, the first season. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. The, the, the second and third season Italy and Spain only available in the feature film version um, but you can probably find them somewhere I don't know you know what go go to the UK yeah. stay in an Airbnb rent the DVDs <laughs> yeah. and watch them and that's the, yeah. what I would recommend to everyone wink wink nudge nudge all right well so for my last show I'm gonna go with something probably the most traditional uh, and uh, sort of sweet show on my list it's Brooklyn Nine Nine, which uh, has aired from it aired from 2013 to 2018 on Fox and uh, 2019 to the present on NBC. And you know, this is a show. There's so much that I love about it, uh, including Andre Brower. I don't know how he has not won an Emmy for his performance as Captain Holt. Um, but what I love this, about the show the most, and what makes it feel more necessary than ever, is that every episode is at its core about people helping each other. Um, through se- season one, did pit Andy. Sam- Sandberg's goofball cop Jake uh, Peralta against his stickler for the rules new boss, Captain Holt. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine, much like Parks and Recreation before it, went from good to great. When the central characters left, their sitcom squabbling behind and became friends. Um, It should be noted that Brooklyn was created by Dan Gore and Parks and Rec co-creator Michael Shore. 
So, you know, the best workplace comedies from the Mary Tyler Moore show on are about the second families that we form in the nine to five trenches. And the cops in Brooklyn's precinct love, hate each other in the way that only relatives can. Um, And as it should be in a family, everyone, no matter how annoying they are, has something to contribute. You know, even Brooklyn's sedentary office buffoons Hitchcock, played by Dirk Blocker, and (laughs) Scully, played by Joel McKinnon Miller, have earned the precinct's grudging respect with their unexpected abilities when they use their finely honed dessert deduction skills to locate Holt's missing pie. Um, You know, rather and rather than choosing specific episodes to tackle topics like racism or homophobia or sexism, from day one, Brooklyn created a universe that was diverse and progressive and wholly inclusive without ever being preachy. Um, And I guess the thing I love the most about Brooklyn Nine-Nine is how the show rewards the loyalty of its fans. It creates a cumulative effect of humor through long running gags like title of your sex tape, yearly traditions like the Halloween heist and ever deepening character backstories, of course, last Last season, we saw the very unexpected backstory of Hitchcock and Scully, which involved hot wings. Um, You know, and I dare say that no show in the history of TV will ever find a better use for the Backstreet Boys song, I Want It That Way. Um, This is a show that I just, you know, it makes me happy. It's a show that always makes me laugh. It's something that I'm just, I'm. You know, there was such an outcry when it was canceled for about four days, you know, because because people <laughs> love it. It is a show that is just really kind hearted and silly, uh, but generally about, you know, it's it's a sort of utopia of what, uh, you know, the idea of that this police precinct that is, you know, no doubt home to a lot of really unsavory things is a place where people really love and support and, and, you know, lift each other up. And that's, you know, uh, you know, it may sound corny, but it's something that, uh, I think Mike Shore and Dan Gore do really well, which is creating these, um, you know, these sort of corny loving, uh, situations for their characters while also making them, you know, weird and funny and, and, yeah. and unexpected. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to me, Kristen, uh, this is a show that like I've watched way, way less than you. But one thing I always kind of like about it when I do tune in is kind of that quality you're talking about. And it's not corny, um, but it does feel to me like it's maybe the primal sitcom experience, Mm -hmm. which is so hard to create. But kind of having people on screen who do genuinely have that kind of chemistry, the the, kind of the the kind of workplace family, genuine friendship chemistry which you know in our time of experimental artistic what have you on television <laughs> in some ways that's still kind of the hardest thing yeah, to create yeah. um, you know uh, everything that you were just saying about it reminded me Kristen of a show that I'm not talking about today uh, which I'll be talking about separately in our in our uh, 20 teens coverage is Bojack Horseman because yeah. um, I just think that it, animation will save that for another time and everyone knows how much I love animation because yes. I cry about it all the time <laughs> but um, there's there's a great episode of Bojack Horseman where the main character was on a show in the 90s and he kind of talks about this idea of you know 90s sitcoms could seem so goofy and you know for a while there had kind of a bad reputation Mm -hmm. but there was something kind of brilliant about them and wonderful about them and, and the world that they could create. And to me, you know, seeing the kind of love that this show creates, I, I, I do think about that a lot. And boy, I mean, 
what a cast of people to assemble all in one place yes. too. Because even like you know, when the show started, I think some people were, were kind of less well known. But like Andre Brower in a comedy like uh, this, it's just brilliant. Like, yeah, and like Terry <laughs> Crews, I love as this. You know, he's a jacked guy, but he's this very sensitive, loving father whose <laughs> daughters are named Cagney and Lacey, you know, like, which is absurd. But it's and Terry loves yogurt. And then you know, Amy Santiago, played by Melissa Fumero, is you know she is somebody who could have just been the sort of like stickler, you know, prim, whatever, but she ends up getting to have, you know, yes, she is a, she loves rules and she loves, she has her binders and she organizes things, but she's also <laughs> like really good at her job and Jake loves her, you know, and uh, that romance between Jake and, and Amy didn't destroy the show, you know, that's yeah. impressive, that's important because they know the writers are very good about balancing, you know, uh, the storylines of the other characters. I mean, Charles Boyle, uh, Joe Latruglio, and his, you know, inadvertent double entendres and, um, you know, son that he adopted from what, Croatia, Nikolaj, who I'm probably saying that name <laughs> wrong, you know, like, that's this ongoing source of just random and very funny humor. And of course, you know, Stephanie Beatriz as Rosa is one of my favorite characters. Uh, and if you go back and watch her from season one, when her voice was totally different, they let they allowed her to like develop that character over time. And uh, it really is a testament to, you know, what a great comedic actress she is. So yeah, it's yeah. just, I, you know, it's one of those shows where it's like, it is very traditional in a lot of ways. And I, I am, you know, there are very few uh, broadcast comedies that I really feel attached to. And this is one of them. Yeah. You know, for, for me, Kristen, the, the, the show that's on NBC right now that does that for me is Superstore. And yes. I'm realizing that it's interesting. Maybe this is kind of like a, an incredible new development of this decade specifically, but the, the sitcom, Will They or Won't They, mm -hmm. that, that miraculously does not destroy the show ultimately. Yeah. Because on, on Superstore, there was a Will They, Won't They, and now they're happily together and it's fine and, and it's fun fine. and and, and, and even kind of, I think, you know, opening up new comedic possibilities for the show. Um, and I feel as if certainly Parks and Rec was an example of that, too, mm -hmm. where everyone kind of wound up happily coupled up and it, it only kind of, you know, extended the, 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 the show's life as it kind of, you know, evolved itself. Um, but that's interesting that this is kind of another example of that, of kind of letting the characters live and breathe. And it doesn't get to a point where you're like, oh, no, this change they've done has kind of drastically altered the show in, in some way. Yeah. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, returning to NBC in the new year and currently streaming on Hulu. Basically, everything's on Hulu. It's all on Hulu and it's on an HBO. And, and so <laughs> that's all you need besides CBS All Access, which I know we'll be talking about next week yes. when we talk about the best dramas of the decade. Uh, Kristen, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Best of Shows. Uh, what great fun we've had going down through the best comedies of the 20 teens. Be sure to let us know what you thought about comedy this decade. The ones we talked about are the ones we missed. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Darren Franich. Kristen's on Twitter at Kristen G. Baldwin. Love hearing from everybody. Uh, be sure to give us a rating or a review wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Radio.com. Uh, we'll be back the same time next week chatting about the best dramas of the 20 teens. I should have a catchphrase, but I don't. So goodbye. 